so we are in a series called This Is My Community, and for the last two weeks we've been talking about um, identity, our identity, and two weeks ago we talked about Paul's letter to the Ephesians and how it is broken up into really into two sections. You have chapters one through three and chapters four through six. You have two sections broken up to two sections. After Paul leaves Ephesus, he's there for two years. He goes in, he preaches the gospel. He's there for two years, leads people to Christ. And then he leaves and leaves. And after he leaves, the people of Ephesus, the Ephesians, begin to slide back into their old habits. We talked about that. Some of their old habits. And it's in this context of them sliding back into their old habits that Paul writes the letter to the Ephesians. We said in chapters four through six, he really addresses uh, some of the some of the backsliding, some of the specific sins that were going on. But in the first three chapters, he reminds them of who they are. Basically, it's as simple as that. Chapters one through three in the very beginning, before you get to four through six, where he says, hey, stop doing these things. Here's why you shouldn't be doing it for three chapters. He reminds them of who they are. Remember who you are. Paul focuses on their mind, on their thought process. And we said we we, we reminded ourselves that our thoughts become our words. Our words become our actions. Our actions become our habits. Our habits become our character and our character becomes our destiny. So he was saying, watch your thoughts What you think you become, what you think you become. In closing, we we, we were talking about how he helped them find their way back. Paul helped them find their way back by using some rich uh, imagery that they could understand, they could relate to, they could connect with. So this morning, I want to talk about three of those images that Paul used. Three of those theological images that Paul used, adoption, redemption, and sealing. Redoption, adoption, redemption, and sealing. So this morning we'll start off with Paul's idea of adoption. He lays out adoption. It says this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses, three, verses 4 and 5. For those of us, uh, I'm sorry, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So we have been adopted. He's talking about adoption here. And he says in accordance with his pleasure and will. Sometimes we get in our minds, we hear theological terms like adoption and redemption and sealing. And they become theological terms. When I was in, when I was in school, we talked about all these theological terms and you had to take tests. And, you know, you were pounded away in these theolo- the theology of it. And sometimes you lost the significance of it. As you study through the theology, if you will, and just made it a heart exercise, a head exercise instead of a head and a heart exercise. And so he says, in accordance with his pleasure and his will, he adopted them. He adopted them. This wasn't a cold, thoughtless decision on God's part in adopting us. It wasn't God. Well, you know, just, you know, just make this part of my plan. I'll adopt him. With, according to his pleasure and his will, he adopted us into his family. This was God's desire. God loved us so much 
This is not just a theological term. He delighted in adopting us. There was emotion involved. There was a joy involved. He delighted. He delights in adopting us into his family. Adoption is one of the one of the most thought through and loving things that we can do. The, the most loving choices a person can make when we adopt someone, even in human terms, it is a thoughtful, loving response to someone else. Adoption is saying, I choose you. Really, I mean, you're making a loving, thoughtful choice to bring someone into your family. And it has a tremendous impact. I know so many families who are blessed, so many families who are blessed through adoption. We, for example, are one family. One of the joys of my life, one of the greatest joys in my life is my son Joshua. I mean, he, we watch football. I love my girls, love them to death. But even when they got to a certain point and they didn't want to watch football anymore. You know, when, when they could walk and they could walk away, then they don't want to watch football anymore. You know, Josh is like reading what's, what, what, what games are on. Is it pro or is it college? You know, and he's got a little video game that he plays and about, you know, he was playing it all, all summer long and all of a sudden football season rolled around. And he's like, oh, man, he's like, oh, he's calling all kinds of I'm, I'm, I was like, oh, thank you, God. <laughs> like he knows it. He understands it. That's past interference. I'm like, well, Josh. I don't think, and the guy's like, pass interference, number, I'm like, he's like, see, Dad? I was like, oh, for you to be right. Football, we, I love it. So joys, one of the joys of my life is having my son, and Josh was adopted into our family. He's a part of me. He's a part of, he's a part of my life. It's such a joy. That idea of adopting is such an incredible joy. Here, here's the amazing thing. Okay, here's the amazing thing, because we're talking about over the past two weeks, we've been talking about identity. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about identity. But the core, your, your core and primary identity is that you have been adopted by God. Think about that. You say, who am I? What is my identity? People don't know who they are. Most people on this planet walk around and don't understand even who they are. That's why they chase after all these other things, trying to find, trying to fill this void in their heart. They're never going to fill because they don't know who they are. Your core and primary identity is that you were adopted by God. Do you understand that? Think about that. God adopted you into his family. God basically built his family through adoption. That's how he builds his family, through adoption. And we find our identity in that particular family, in God's family. I am a child of God first. I find my identity in Jesus Christ, not in anything else, first and foremost. There are other things that shape me, help me become a different person, you know, help me identify myself. But, but it's being in God's family. That is my core and primary identity, that God adopted me into his family. A few years back, I was in, a, um, I, I was like, I would say severely injured, if you will. And I remember calling my dad that day after I got out of the hospital. I remember calling my dad and, and talking to him. And he said, uh, did you stop bleeding pretty soon? Did you, did you stop bleeding quickly? And I said, well, yeah, I did. And he said, you'll, you'll heal quickly as well. And he said, because you're a greer. You'll, you, you, you'll stop bleeding quickly. And if you stop bleeding quickly, you're going to heal quickly. He said, because you're a greer. And I did. I actually healed very, very quickly. But it was interesting there's something, I thought about that as I was writing this sermon, I thought about it. there's something positive 
There's something natural about someone, someone claiming you. There's something, there's something incredibly positive, something obviously extremely natural to us when it comes to someone claiming us. You're a Greer. I remember him saying that. This is what's going to happen. This is the way, because we're Greers. So, and then there's something supernatural about the fact that God claimed us. There's something supernatural about the king of the universe, the creator of all things, claiming you as his own. You are my child. You're not just a Greer. You're a Christian. You're a Christian. God claimed you. God claimed me. God adopted us into his family. There is an identity there. It's it's something incredible about relationship. When you have you know, your identity in relationship. Now, there's, it's difficult in some families because in some families you have to earn your family's love. And, and some of you experience that. You're in a family, you have relationship, but you kind of have to earn that love. But those of us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, those of us who are connected to the body of Christ, who know Christ, know this. That we don't have to earn God's love. I didn't have to do anything to earn God's love. By faith, I asked Christ to come into my heart. I didn't earn it. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says this, For it is by grace you have been saved, God's grace, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Paul says in love he predestined us through adoption to his son, Jesus Christ. We have been adopted. Now, here's the thing. As we read through the Bible, especially we're reading through Ephesians right now. We're just reading some of the passages in Ephesians. Um, we, we tend to read it with 21st century eyes, not through first century eyes, correct? Because we live in the 21st century. So when I pick up my Bible and I start to read, I read it through 21st century eyes. What I want to try to do this morning for us is I want to try to read it and experience this through first century eyes. Not through 21st century eyes, but through first century eyes. Like the people in and around Ephesus had experienced it when they read it. So how would they have experienced this? In order to do that, we have to kind of imagine what it was like in Ephesus at that time. So let me do, we'll go back and do a little history like we did a few weeks ago. Ephesus was a part of the Roman province of Asia and the second largest city in the Roman Empire behind Rome. So picture that. This was a pretty amazing place. We talked about it. All the, all the buildings that were there. The sites, it was incredible. Large city, second largest Roman city behind Rome. Now, in Roman families, okay, Roman families were dominated by males. It was a male-dominated society. And in the family, the, the, each family was, was pretty much um, dominated by the oldest living male in the family. So dominated a culture dominated by males. And in a Roman family, Roman family life was was dominated by the oldest living male and basically was called the father of the family and the father of the whole family. The oldest guy in the family, oldest living male, was the father of the entire family. He looked after his family's um, wealth and their property, and he was able to offer up uh, religious uh, rights to the family if there was any kind of issue there, perform religious rights on, on the family's behalf. Because he was the main person there. The father had an absolute rule over his household and his children. If his children ticked him off 
or did something wrong he didn't like. He had the he had the he had the legal authority to disown his children. He had the legal authority to sell them into slavery. He had the legal authority to kill them. So if I'm the father of the family, the oldest male in the family, and you're my family, and someone in the family ticks me off, I could sell you into slavery, I could disown you, or if you really make me angry, I could kill you. See, he was the only one that could own property. Picture this now, again, he's the only one that can own property. Even his oldest male sons did not have ownership of their own resources, They got an allowance to run their households as long as the oldest living male was alive, that not even the sons had access to their own resources. They had to wait for pops there to die in order to get it. He gave them an allowance so that they could manage their own homes. Sons were extremely important in Roman culture. Because it was, it was, you know, you wanted to carry on the family name. So if you didn't have a son, then you would go and adopt a son and bring him in to make sure that your, your name would not die out. The father had the right in this culture, this is important, had the right to decide whether to keep newborn babies. All right. He had the right to, to whether he, he was going to keep newborn babies. After birth, the midwife would come and they would take the baby and they would lay it on the ground. And the father of the family would decide if that baby was going to remain in the family. If the father picked up the baby, all right, then that baby, only then was that baby basically seen as a part of the family. That baby was formally accepted into the family if the father picked it up. So it's laid on the ground. Father picks it up, formally adopted, if you will, into the family or brought into the family. If the decision went the other way, If the father did not pick up that baby, the baby was deliberately abandoned outside. Okay, so they take the baby, father doesn't pick it up, and they put it outside. That really usually happened if there was a um, disability in that child or the father just decided, the father of the family just decided, hey, there's too many mouths to feed here, one more mouth. And usually if it's a girl, you know, that, you know, whoop, you know what are they going to bring to the family or whatever else? At least the boy can do something with his muscles or whatever. And they was, so they would basically take it. And the father didn't pick it up. They, it was deliberately abandoned outside, exposed. It was exposure, basically. Put it outside. So anything he didn't like about the baby or if he didn't think he could afford the baby, that child then was abandoned. Many babies were left in the Agora. Remember the Agora I described to you? It had, you know, three arches. There were three arches that went into the marketplace, this giant marketplace, two football fields in in size. So you went through this arch and they would take many of the babies and they would leave them there. And what happened was the idea was that you leave your baby there and many of those babies would be taken by other people and used for prostitution or slavery. So you see a baby sitting there. No one's, you know, it's basically abandoned. It's been left outside, exposed. And so someone else could come along and think, well, yeah, that's a nice slave. I'll pick it up for a slave or I'll pick that baby up for prostitution. So it was in this culture, okay, that, that Paul was writing when he talks about adoption. He under, Paul was no dope, okay? When Paul went into a culture, he studied the culture. He didn't walk in and just start talking and everything. He would study different cultures. Read through the New Testament. Paul would walk in and, send, and say to different people, as some of your own poets have said, well, how the heck does he know what their own poets have said unless he talked to them? So he understood this culture of abandonment, if you will. People would just be abandoned. They'd be left out. Slavery, prostitution. 
because they were not accepted. They were not taken in. That is the culture into which Paul writes. When Paul writes to the churches in and around Ephesus, he, he is writing to a culture of people who regularly reject okay, and abandon children. So this is, this is what's going on there. Now, I also read that exposure was probably one of the most um, difficult ways or cruel, one of the cruelest ways to die. Because what you do is you take this little newborn baby. Of course, we all, you know, many of you had babies recently. And you take this little tiny infant baby and you put them outside. Well, if it's cold, they very quickly die of exposure. They, they freeze to death, slowly freeze to death. Or they starve to death. And that starvation, I don't care how old you are, is a very painful way. To, I've, seen, I've seen people starve to death, if you will, as they're dying. It's a very painful way to die when you starve to death. Or worse, they put them out there and no one picks them up very quickly and dogs will come and eat them or other animals would come and eat them. So that was the, that was the life expectancy of someone who was put out and who was not picked up, who was not adopted into a family. So again, this is the context in which Paul speaks. Given this culture, the slave children consider themselves the lucky ones. So if you're a slave, you're just like, whoo-hoo, dodge that bullet. At least I'm a slave. At least, I'm in, at least I've, I've got a, you know, a roof over my head and I'm getting fed here. And, and I, at least I survived this experience. Paul writes to these people and basically he says, if you've come to know Jesus Christ, if you have come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, your defining moment in life is not who abandoned you, but who took you in. That's what he's talking about here. He says your defining moment, your identity is not about who abandoned you, it is about who took you in. Who brought you in? He says God picked you out. God Picked you up and he brought you home. That's what Paul's saying. In this context, these people would completely understand this imagery. God picked you out. And it's not just anyone picked you out. The creator of the universe picked you out. He picked you up and he took you home. Have you ever been abandoned? This is going to hit home for a bunch of people. I know it is. You ever been abandoned by a parent? I don't care if they were there or not in some cases. Never been abandoned by a parent? Just kind of one day they decided they were going to leave. Ever been abandoned by a fiancé or a spouse? Ever been abandoned by a child who basically shut you out? Ever been abandoned by a company? You worked for that company all those years. You gave them your heart and soul. You worked so hard, and then you were abandoned. You ever started a business, and you invested your life in someone? You invested your life in that other person, and then they up and leave your company and go to another company and take your customers with them? Or they start their own company and compete with you and take their clients to their company? You ever ever feel that way? You You ever have that happen to you? Think about it. I mean, think about the, the feeling. I mean, I was just in Haiti. I spent a week in Haiti. And it's a, it, abandonment is a real intense thing for people. I don't care what you say. I don't care what situation you find yourself in. If someone has abandoned you, that has a profound impact on your life. Now, again, remember Paul is writing here. He's writing this because he's dealing with behaviors 
uh, a lot of different um, negative behaviors that are going on within the people of Ephesus, the Ephesians. They've slidden back. They're going through all these things, and, and he has to deal with it. The Ephesians had been sliding back into lying and cheating and, and stealing and sexual immorality and gossip and violent tempers and all of these things are going on and, 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 and Paul has to deal with them. But Paul in his wisdom, I absolutely love this, Paul in his wisdom doesn't lead, I, I said this a couple of weeks ago, we would do this, we'd lead with the don'ts, right? We would lead our book with the don'ts. Stop doing this and stop doing that and don't do this and don't do that. Paul and his wisdom doesn't lead with the don'ts. He doesn't lead with chapters 4 through 6. He doesn't lead with that. He puts all of that, that, that on hold and says, before I, t- I tell you again, I teach you again how to behave, I want to remind you that you belong. Before I tell you again and explain to you again and teach you again how to behave, I want to remind you, chapters 1 through 3, I want to remind you that you belong. Your most defining moment is not who threw you out, but who brought you in. Your life should not be defined by who rejected you, but by who accepted you. And that's us. Because so many of us have defined our lives by who has rejected us. Who has abandoned us instead of who has accepted us, who has taken us in, who has picked us up. You have been, you know, you've been, people have been abandoned in so many different ways. People here this morning, you could sit here and say, yes, I have been through this in my life. I have been abandoned. You've been abandoned by others, but let me tell you something. You have been chosen by God. You have been chosen. That's what Paul's saying. You've been chosen by God the Father. You are his child. He has taken you in. And he chose you. This is the cool thing. I thought about this this week. He chose you before the foundation of the world, which means you were chosen before you rejected by any people. You were chosen by God before you were rejected by anyone. God chose you. God brought you in. He took you up. He took you in. It is God who is your father. It is he is the one who decides who you are. He is the one who impacts your life. He picked you up. He brought you home. He adopted you. That is your identity. That is my identity. There's a reason why we as believers in Jesus Christ say we have a relationship with God. I have a relationship with God. There's something amazing, I'm sorry, amazing about being chosen as a, as a, 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 a loving, adopted son or daughter of the creator of the universe. A precious son or daughter of the creator of the universe. There's something amazing about that. Listen, what defines your life is not what happened to you, but what was done for you. Let me say that again. The most defining point in your life is not what happened to you. So many things have happened to us in our lives, and we revolve around those things. But the most defining thing in your life is not what happened to you, but what was done for you. You are not that event. You are not that circumstance that you found yourself in. You are not that one experience that you went through. 
That is not who you are. You are not that one experience. You are not that decision that you made. You're not that one decision or multiple decisions. I don't care how many you've made that are negative. You are not. That is not your identity. Someone maybe has stamped you. Wipe it off because God didn't stamp you. You are not that decision. You have been adopted. You belong to God. You are his. That is where we find our identity. I want you to bow your heads with me. We're doing something a little different this morning, so just keep your heads bowed, okay, and just listen to the words that I'm going to say for the next few minutes. As you sit here quietly, I want you to whisper. I want to whisper these words together. He adopted me. So on the count of three, I just want you to whisper to yourself, loud enough where, you know, maybe people can hear you, but I want you to whisper, he adopted me. One, two, three. He adopted me. Our lives can change when we remember who we are. I want you to say it again. He adopted me. He adopted me. This is all Paul says for three chapters. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. You are not that one event. You are not that one circumstance. You are not that one decision. You've been adopted by God. You've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Remember who you are. So when your friends want to ask you to do something you know is wrong, just remember who you are. When you're confronted by a family member who tries to tell you that you're worthless, remember who you are. Remember whose you are. You were adopted. You're his child. You're God's child. You see, at one time, my friends, just listen to these words. We were all orphans. But when Christ asked us to come and be a part of his life, when he asked to come into our hearts, and when we asked him through faith to be our Lord and Savior, God took us in. He picked us up. You know, today is Orphan Sunday. And there are a lot of physical orphans, children who've been abandoned around the world. And through back-to-back ministries and through self-sustaining enterprises, we're living out our vision to be a global community. Grace Chapel is a global community of Christ followers, awakening imagination, igniting passion, and unleashing purpose. But we are a global community. And through our partnerships, our mission partnerships with back-to-back and self-sustaining enterprises, we are reaching out to our global community to care for the abandoned. But there are also spiritual orphans all around us, people who don't know Christ. And it's our responsibility to share the love of God with them, to help them find their true identity. There are so many people, your friends and relatives, people you spend time with at work, who are spiritual orphans. They don't have a relationship with Christ. And we need to help them find their true identity. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. 
We want those people who are outside, if you will, to feel like Grace Chapel could be their spiritual home. They could feel comfortable here. This morning, we want you to think about those who need to be adopted. I want you to be thinking right now about some people who need to be adopted. For some of you, your thoughts may maybe led to a child who is around the world who just needs someone to pick them up. Maybe not bring them into your home, but they need someone to, to sponsor them, to, to love them and show them that they're loved, even if it's thousands of miles away. And so for some of you, out in the foyer, there's an opportunity to take a child, $25 a month, take that child and help sponsor that child so that child knows that someone is thinking about them, someone is caring about them, someone is picking them up. For some of you this morning, as we close out here, I just want you to, to pray for our global community. There are so many children in Haiti, so many children in Africa, so many children in India, so many children in Mexico and around the world who need our prayers. They're overwhelmed with sorrow and need, and we need to pray for them. Some of you, all of you, actually, what I'd love you to do this morning as we are thinking about this, I want you to go to the back wall of the sanctuary And pray for people in your life who don't know Christ, who are still orphaned. Everyone think right now of one person in your life. Just think of one person who doesn't know Christ that you want to pray for. That they would be adopted into God's family, that they would they would open up their hearts and allow Christ to come into their hearts. Just one person. And then I want you to write their first name only, their first name only on the wall in the back and just pray for them very quickly. And if you're here this morning and you've never asked Christ to come into your life, you've never been adopted into his family, I want to give you that opportunity as well this morning. In the book of John, Jesus says that unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, John 3, 3. What Jesus was talking about here was a was a spiritual rebirth, not a physical one. The Bible makes it absolutely clear that that this spiritual rebirth takes place in us when we repent of our sins and we put our sincere trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. If you've never truly asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, if you desire in your heart to be adopted into God's family, to truly understand who you are, I want you to pray this prayer with me this morning. You don't have to say it out loud. Just say it in your heart with me. Thank you, God, for sending your son and adopting me into your family. He saw me helpless and fallen, and he loved me enough to die for me. And because Jesus suffered in my place, I'm now free. I'm no longer guilty before you, God. 
I believe in your promise that if I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, that I will be saved. And I ask you to forgive me. And I receive Jesus Christ into my life as my Lord and my Savior. Today, this day is my spiritual birthday. Today, I accept your gift of mercy and of peace and of eternal life. I know that Jesus Christ now lives in me. I know that I've been given your spirit to guide me. And I know that I am a new creation because of your great love. I don't carry that guilt around any longer. I don't carry that burden around any longer. My slate has been wiped clean. I am free because I am under the blood of Jesus Christ who took up all of my sins on himself on the cross. And now I am one of your children adopted into your family and I know who I am. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me with all your eyes closed, I want to ask you to do something that may be a little uncomfortable. If you prayed that prayer, you don't have to do this. Please don't feel obligated to do this. But I just felt led of the Spirit that when we were putting this together, that I wanted to offer up the opportunity to be baptized. So if there's anyone here this morning who prayed that prayer, or if there's anyone here this morning who's prayed that prayer before and has never been baptized, I want to give you an opportunity to be baptized even this morning right now in this service. You don't have to say a word when you come up here. Everyone knows why you're, why you're here if you're coming up to be baptized. You don't have to say a word. Pastor Kevin will be there and he will baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You may be thinking, well, I'll get all wet. Well, we have extra towels, we have extra clothes, sweats and shorts and all kinds of things. So my question is, why wait? The band's going to play. And while they do, I want to allow God to speak to your heart as the service closes out. For some of you, you need to go back and write down that name on the wall, that one person who needs to be adopted into God's family that you want to pray for. I want you to write their first name down on the back wall on that paper. Some of you need to go out in the foyer and there's some children out there in pictures and maybe you want to invest $25 a month into that person's life and, and again, let people, let those children know that they are not alone, that we are, we are there for them, not just in prayer, but we are financially backing them. We love them and we're picking them up. Again, some of you need to come and be baptized. Don't worry about getting wet. Some of you can just stay in worship as Jen sings this song. Just spend some time in worship, praying for others, praying for yourself, rejoicing in what God has done in your life and that your identity is found in him and him alone. So the band's going to continue to play. At whatever point, at whatever point you need to leave, you feel very, very comfortable just to get up and leave. It's totally fine. It's totally fine. Just do it quietly as we continue to worship God. Our Father, we love you. We praise you. 
And we pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to move in our lives. Father, we thank you that you have adopted us into your family. Father, we thank you for those this morning who have given their lives to you, whether they're baptized or not this morning, dear God. We thank you for that decision that they made. But we pray, dear God, through your Holy Spirit, that you would move in our hearts and that we would act upon the things that you're doing in our lives, the the change you've made in our lives, the, the people that we need to pray for. Lord God, I pray that we would just remain silent for a little while, that we would get up and do the things that we are, we are called by your spirit to do. And then that you dismiss us with your blessing in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.